looking at Philippians. We started a, a sermon series uh, last week, just looking at the book of Philippians. It's so really uh, kind of an uh, exegetical type sermon series where we're, we're going to take the entire book of Philippians and we're just going to kind of dive into, into the Word of God and look at the Scripture and just kind of see what it, what it means and how it can uh, speak to us and inspire us uh, to continue to grow and mature in our faith. And so last week, we were looking at the first 11 uh, verses in that particular book that God has called all of us to participate in the gospel. And we kind of went over the history of the, uh, the church in Philippi, and if you, if you look in Acts chapter 16, I believe it is, it's kind of where you see on Paul's missionary journey, his first venture into the Macedonian region, and, and there he kind of settles in Philippi, Philippi, and he meets Lydia and converts her and her whole family, and he deals with this little girl that is bound by a devil that's kind of uh, um, just you know, pestering them, and, and he goes in and he casts out that demon, and, and, and it gets it, you know, imprisoned, and the prison guard, he goes through all of this, and he leaves that particular uh, region rejoicing because God uses him to establish a church in Philippi that was, and, and the book of Philippians is the only book, um, only epistle written by Paul where it wasn't written uh, with a desire to correct the church for any particular wrongdoing that they were doing. Almost all the other epistles that Paul writes, he's writing them because he, he's heard that there's some issue in the church or there's something going on and he's trying to correct something that's, that's being mishandled or something that's being done inappropriately. And Philippians is not, not that way. And it starts out and we see all throughout the book of Philippians that the church in Philippi was one of, it was Paul's, one of Paul's beloved churches, that he had a special connection in them, to them, and they had a special connection to him. And, and so Paul here is writing to them. He's actually in Rome at this particular time that he's writing this, uh, around 62, 63 AD, and he's, he's actually in prison. He's in prison in Rome. Uh, the the uh, church in Philippi has sent a guy to, to bring comfort to Paul, and in return, Paul is writing uh, his letter to them to comfort them and to let him know that he plans on returning and all of this kind of stuff. And so he goes in here in, in, in these first couple verses that we talked about last week, talking about how he rejoices in the fact that they participate in the gospel, that they are participants, and how it, it goes on, it says that, you know, that God is faithful and he will finish the work that he began, and, and, and he goes on and on and on and all of it is is it has this premise and this basis and this foundation that these people are are participants in the gospel that they are participating in what is going on and 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 that they're not spectators they're not just people that come to church and 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 it's so some religious duty that they do but they participate in the gospel and he goes on and talking about anyways I'm not trying to preach that whole sermon it's actually would be on our website uh, soon, if it's not already there, but um, we're going to pick up in chapter 1, starting in verse 12, read through a couple here, and so let's look at what Paul is saying here. He says, now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel, so that in my imprisonment, in the cause of Christ, uh, so that in my imprisonment, in the cause of Christ, has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. 
Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel, and the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than uh, from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation of hope and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. All right, so here's this, this passage Paul's explaining some things to them. There's this, there's this thought or this idea, Paul being in prison because of his faith. Uh, and, and so, you know, when he talks about people that are preaching gospel out of selfish ambition or impure motives, trying to cause him distress, it kind of makes you wonder, how can somebody preach the gospel and cause Paul distress? Well, there are a couple issues here. One is um, Paul being arrested for, um, for preaching the gospel uh, it was, it, there were issues where maybe even rumors that were being started that Paul was arrested for some other reason other than preaching the gospel. And the reason why this is is because you were having people going out the streets proclaiming that they were preaching for the gospel and they weren't getting arrested, but Paul got arrested for preaching the gospel. Okay? Or they were trying to stir up the crowds and stir up the locals by preaching the gospel to make the local Roman government even that more furious about the spreading of the gospel, therefore trying to use Paul to make him as an example of what will happen if you continue to do this kind of thing. So there's, there's several different thoughts as it, when it comes to this, this whole idea of what does Paul mean by they're causing me distress when they're preaching the gospel because they're preaching impure motives. And before I kind of get into, you know, the main thing that I really felt like God highlighted to me and, and the thing that I want to kind of share with you, I do want to uh, pay attention to first pay attention to something that Paul brings up and he talks about here right in the middle in which I kind of just was talking about here. But Paul just got done talking about how, um, you know, and we talked about this in, the, in, the, uh, in verses uh, 9, 10, in uh, and, and chapter one, how we talked about having a, a proper perspective in the way that we deal with people, how that we need God's love to abound more and more. When God's love is in us, it helps us have the right kind of perspective in our life. It helps us to see people with the right kind of perspective. Um, and, and not only perspective, but also perception, all right, that we're able to perceive things in a, in a godly fashion and not a, you know, a, a, um, a, a fearful fashion or not in an insecurity uh, type of way, but we're able to perceive things in a, in a, in a real uh, a way that is pleasing to the Lord because God loves abounds more and more. All right? And so because of that, we're able to look at this, the way that Paul is able to look at circumstances going on in his life and how he's able to respond to that. And I really feel like I, I just want to kind of point this out real quick. But in verse 15 through 18, Paul says, some to be sure preaching Christ 
from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for defense of the gospel, and the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. You know, um, one of the things that I have found in, in my experience of, let's just say, 18 years of, of full-time ministry and, and, and being a pastor, uh, one of the things that I have found uh, through my experience, not only through my experience, but in, in my endeavors to, to just do research and to learn and just kind of see what's going on here, what's, what, what are the voices, I have found that there are many, many, many full-time critics of preachers of the gospel. I mean, they are everywhere. Literally, they are everywhere. It's absolutely unreal. You can, I promise you, you can find any prominent pastor in America probably, and if you Google that person's name, you might, and and you probably will, find uh, a website or even a dedicated website to that person alone that will describe how that person is a false prophet or a false teacher or something. It doesn't really matter who it is, really. You could probably take any prominent minister, pastor, evangelist, okay, at any level, at any place, at any denomination, you Google that person's name and you'll probably find somebody that's talking about how this person is a false teacher. And I'm like, where do these people get the time Okay, to do all this. Where do they get the time to go in and to, to, to listen to every one of these sermons and to, to minutely break it down and then to take that and, and to take this little bit and to expound on that person's meaning and then set up a whole website and probably even pay for it. And they're going to they're gonna have all of this stuff and they're going to loudly proclaim these people. They're going to call them out. You know, the amount of friends that I have had in ministry over the years, and you hear the stories of people attacking and critiquing everything that they do or say. And I, look, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be accountability, okay? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't call out false teaching or false prophets. We, we know that Paul did. We know that there were times in the New Testament Scripture where Paul did, but it was not Paul's focus. You understand the difference? Yeah, there were times that he maybe addressed false teaching in the church, but it wasn't his focus to attack people or individuals, no matter what their motives were. And we see what Paul here is writing in in Philippians. He says, whether Christ is preached out of honesty or whether it's out of pretense, whether it's out of goodwill or whether it's out of selfish ambition. So what am I going to do about that? He says, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to rejoice because Christ is being preached. Okay? Christ is being preached. In Isaiah chapter 55, 11, it says this right here. It says, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which it, I sent it. Okay? And this is the, 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 the scripture that maybe you've heard. It says that God's word will not return void. 
Okay? That's the, probably the most predominant way it's always been translated or said. And that God's word is not going to return empty. All right? And so, yeah, Paul is saying, like, listen, hey, they're preaching Christ, and the word of God is going to go forth, and it's not going to return it to the Lord empty. It's going to go forth. Okay? Yeah, you know what? They will be held accountable for the things that they do. They will be held accountable for the way that they live. I mean, really, nobody's getting away with nothing. Even if they think they are here on earth, when they get to the next level, God's going to expose all that stuff anyways. But Christ is being preached, and because of that, I will rejoice. And too many times, we want to be critics. We want to live our life criticizing everything. And it's just so easy. It's so easy to point out the faults and and the issues with other people than it is to rejoice in the fact that there are many people all across our country that proclaim the gospel. Okay? We have many, we have dozens of preachers here in Calera that preach the gospel. They may preach a different style than me. There may be certain parts of scripture that we disagree on. But you know what? I rejoice that the gospel is being preached to people in my city. And I will continue to rejoice. There are, there are not only is, is God the one who will who will hand settle it all in the end. There are things in place. There are things in place. Not, look, you know, sure, I, somebody gets up and say that, says that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. I get that. That's, that's bad. That's, that's not a good look. That's, that's not scriptural. I get all of that. But it doesn't mean that that person who is actually preaching that, just because they have a belief that's wrong, doesn't mean that all, everything that they preach is always wrong. Okay, because there's still the gospel is going to be preached, and we can rejoice in that. And I, I just hear too much talking sometimes, and maybe it's just my circles. I hear too much talking about pastors and preachers when really, if we, it's the proper perspective, the love of God that abounds more and more, that gives us perspective. That say, are we able to perceive things in a godly standpoint? And Paul right here is saying, look, man, there's people all around me that are preaching with good motives and bad motives. They're saying the right things, some are saying the wrong. You know what? I'm going to rejoice because Christ is being preached. What am I going to do then? I'm going to rejoice because Christ is being preached. You know, um, there's a, a pastor here, I think a, a, a couple weeks ago, um, who's a pretty, pretty well-known pastor and um, up in, uh, I think, North Carolina or Virginia or something like that. Um, he, he just got dismissed from his church for alcohol abuse. Uh, you know, big church, just got dismissed, just got let go. And, and, and this is the thing, you know, when there, there are systems in places at these churches that when pastors step out of line, that they're, they're, they'll be held accountable and hopefully lovingly brought back in. Okay? When we talk about other pastors throughout, uh, the, uh, and you may know some, that have kind of gone off in some theological error, the vast majority of the examples of the time, these, these guys have people around them and they'll hold them accountable. If they're not able to come back around them, they're dismissed from their particular position, have to step down from their position. And that is in place to handle that. Okay? That's in place to handle those kinds of things. Those, those kind of systems and structures and churches are there to handle that kind of stuff. All right? And it's not for us to go around and just be like, oh, it's just talking about this and Joel Osteen that and this person over here this and that. And we just, we want to just grab these guys. And, you know, I, David, when, when David was under Saul um, and, and he, was, 
he was anointed the king of Israel, but Saul was the king. And Saul was actually uh, talking to uh, uh, sorcerers about direction for the nation of Israel when he, was, he had been abandoned by God. Okay, listen, Saul had been abandoned by God. He had lost his anointing to rule as king. Okay, he, he was filled with suspicion and jealousy and anger and rage. All of these things had filled his heart. Even at that moment, David said, how, you know, how dare you touch God's anointed? In other words, God put him in that place. Yeah, everything they're doing may not be right, but it's not my place. Even though he had been anointed king, it's not my place to go after him. God will take care of it. God will take care of it. All right? And this is exactly what Paul here is saying. In essence, he's, he's having the proper perspective on how to deal with this. Okay? We need to always be rejoicing that Christ is being preached. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Okay? In this I rejoice. Now, Paul here, as I have established earlier, is in Rome. He's in prison. It is his second time being in prison. And he's writing to the church at Philippi. Now, I'm sure because of the connection that the Philippian church has, that the Philippian church is probably um, worried, uh, maybe all up in arms, they're fretting, or uh, maybe they're praying like the New Testament church usually did. We don't really know. Over the, pa- the fact that Paul is in prison, um, and, and as a matter of fact, in that particular time, in that particular day, there were many people, believers, who were giving their lives for the gospel. They were, they were dying because of their faith. We know that several believers, that several people that followed Jesus, uh, that were his disciples, that lost their life even before this particular moment, even before Paul wrote this particular letter. And as far as we know, the Philippian church, you know, is probably worried to death thinking that this is the end for Paul too. Paul even probably having suspicion even inside of his own mind that, hey, maybe this is my end. We, we don't really know. We know that Paul is imprisoned. We know that, of course, God can set him free from his chains and break him free as he ends up doing. But we don't, when you're in that particular moment, you don't know the end result. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. It's easy for us to look back at Paul and see why he had peace in the middle of being in prison because we know the end story. When we live our own lives and when he was living that, in that particular moment, he didn't know the end story. He didn't have the end result of what was going on there. And, and therefore, it, it can put you in a place of, of worry and stress. And so Paul here comforts the church in Philippi, and he, he comforts them with, again, the proper perspective. And I want you to listen to what he says, and maybe it just kind of passed through you when I read it the first time. It says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Okay. My circumstances have turned out for the greater, greater progress of the gospel. How many times have you said that in your life? My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. 
Um, you know, this reminds me of scripture in Romans. In Romans chapter, um, chapter 8, verse 28, some more prominent, well-known version of this particular verse. It says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Okay? And we know, we know that God causes all things, everybody say all things, okay, to work together for good. Say for good. Okay, for good. Now, you do realize that it says that God will work it out for your good. But he didn't say that he will work all things out to be good. Okay? He didn't say that he's going to take all things in your life and he's going to make them good. Amen. He doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. Does he ever say that he's going to take the things in your life and he's going to make them good? No, 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 no. He says he's going to take all things, whether good or bad, and he could take those things and he's so good that he could take bad things and he can make them work for your good. Okay. Now, what I decided to do was I decided to put a list of things down that are for good, but aren't necessarily good, okay? And you might have a difference of opinion about these things that I'm about to say. That's okay. I still love you anyways. You're still allowed to be a part of church and a right. It's fine, okay? But here, here we go. And some of you, don't shout me down now, okay? Exercise. <laughs> right? Come on. Come on. I know some of you are looking at me like, what are you talking about exercise? Good. No, 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 no. Look, my knees and my feet tell me exercise is not good, okay? All the time, right? It tells me not good, but it is for my good. It would actually be good for me if I did exercise from time to time. If I did a little cardio, you know, something, got on the, uh, you know, a little treadmill that's at my house that just covered in dust over in the corner of our room, right? Anybody else got the treadmill that never gets used? Because there was one day you were inspired, I'm going to run while I'm watching TV. No, no, no. You, you still sit on that couch eating potato chips watching TV. That's what you do. That's what I do, I, but I don't, I don't eat potato chips. Um, right? uh, vegetables. Yuck. I mean, I mean, I look, I, I, look, I'm just telling you, okay, I'm just being honest with you, okay? Vegetables, they're, I mean, unless you load them down with butter and salt and all kinds of cheese, Okay? They're not good. I, you, you may have an acquired taste. Okay, again, I already said, I already told you at the beginning, you could disagree with me and it'd be okay. Don't look at me like that. Some of you looking at me like I'm a bad person. Okay? Uh, look, I, it's just, but I know that vegetable eating my greens is good for me, but I, really? Come on, man. I, some, some tacos, pizza. 
stuff, you know, give it, yeah. All right, the discipline. Yes. Discipline is, you know, the Bible even says discipline is not fun. Not fun. It's not ever fun. Kids don't like discipline. Of course, we don't like discipline. But the Bible says that discipline is good for us. All right? Responsibility. Come on. I, now, I know I'm preaching to adults, so you probably have attained a certain level of responsibility. At least I hope so. Okay? Some of you got kids. If you're not, we, we need to talk about this. All right. My, my oldest is 14. And this, the, the idea of me giving him responsibility is just mind-boggling to him. Like, what? Like, he, he's so ready to drive and to be his own and to go and do stuff. But I'm like, hey, as you get older, you're going to have to be more responsible too. That means you're going to have to, like, cut the grass and help out around the house and do this. And, and no, no, that's not what he wants. But how many of you know that teaching him to be responsible is good for him? I just realized the other day, I was actually sharing this with, with Pastor Rob, uh, I can't remember, maybe a week ago. I just realized for the first time that I think that I am done cutting grass for like seven or eight years now. It's like incredible. Like I am, I am man, I am flying hot. But that, that's kind of why I need some cardio, you know what I'm saying? Because that was a, I don't know. Work, listen, work, work, unless you do something that like is like really fun, you know, like play a sport or, you know, talk on a radio. Work is not, I mean, inherently always fun, but it is good for you to work so you can provide for your family and not be worse than an infidel, which is what the Bible says when you don't work and provide for your family, all right? A Bible study, reading your Bible, it's, all right, it's. I'm not saying reading your Bible is not good. I'm just saying that to the flesh, to the flesh, it's hard sometimes to discipline yourself to sit down and read your Bible, but you know that it's good. Prayer, it's the same thing. I'm not saying prayer is not good. I am saying prayer is very good. But it, it, with the flesh, the flesh doesn't want to pray. The flesh doesn't want to spend time in submission and humility, praying before the Lord. But we know that prayer is good. Okay. Fasting, um, fasting, nobody, nobody I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know anybody that just loves the fast, you know, I mean, uh, maybe there are some, uh, but, you know, going without food for a while is generally not fun, and it kind of brings out the worst in you, but the Bible says it's good for you, um, and my, my last one is milk, <laughs> No, but they say it does a body good. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't know. So, you know, there, there can be this misconception sometimes that God will turn our bad circumstances into good circumstances, that he will take our bad circumstances and that he will make them good circumstances. And I'm not saying that you theologically agree with that, because most of us in here wouldn't. And if you 
do think that that's the way God works, then you need to read the Bible some more and find out that's not what God says, right? But subconsciously, sometimes we get that way. Subconsciously, the way that we live and the way that we respond in the midst of our difficult circumstances. We know that the scripture here, it says that he will take your bad circumstances. He will take your bad circumstances and he will work it for your good. He will make sure that it does good for you. It does something good in you. Just like all of those other things that I listed. Except for all of those things that I listed are things that you can choose to participate in. The fact of the matter is, is because you are a part of life, you don't really necessarily always get to choose your circumstances. Now, you, you can choose your circumstances. You choose to speed, you know, and get a speeding ticket. That's not because the devil's being mean to you. It's because you chose to do the wrong thing, okay? Um, but sometimes there's a lot of other things that we can deal with in our life and a lot of other things that can happen to us in life that aren't things that we choose. And, and God still says, I can take all of those things. I can take all of those bad circumstances and I can work them together for, to make them good for you. And this is exactly what Paul here is saying in Philippians my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What circumstances is he talking about, by the way? Being in prison. Is, is being in prison a good circumstance? Now, m- mind you, let's think about his prison. Let's don't think about our prisons, okay? Let's think about their prisons. Dungeons, chains, okay? dirty floors, not talking about TV in a bed with a pillow, okay, not, no, 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 we're talking about really, really difficult circumstances, and in the midst of these difficult circumstances, in the midst of this pain, in the midst of his trial, which, by the way, he does not know the end to, he does not know the end story, He says this, that God has taken my circumstances and he has used them to further the gospel. He's used them to further the gospel. He even goes on further in verse 20. It says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that that with all boldness, Christ even now, even now, Right now, as always, being exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Even now, in the midst of my circumstances, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my struggle, in the midst of my imprisonment, even now, Christ is going to be glorified. And if I live, he's going to be glorified. And if I die, he's going to be glorified. Christ will always be exalted in my body in life or in death. And so I can ask you, can you live like this? Rob, you'll come. Can you live like this? Can you live with the same mindset, the same attitude, 
that Paul is having right here. Can you? Can you have the same attitude that Paul has about his circumstances? Can you have it? Then whatever happens to me, whatever circumstances I go through, whatever difficulty I face, that Christ is going to be exalted, that Christ is going to be magnified, that it, these circumstances and these difficulties that I'm going through right now, that God is going to use them for the furtherance of the gospel. He's going to use them. He's going to use them to make a difference in not only in my life to prove that he is faithful and that he will take care of me and he'll do all of these things, but he will also use them to inspire and challenge and draw other people into the kingdom. What kind of circumstances do you find yourself in? Are you in the middle of some bad circumstances? Are you in the middle of it? Are you in the middle of the storm, the difficulty, the pain, the trial? Are you in the middle of those things? Or maybe you're not in the middle of it, but you've kind of gone through it and you have some residual effects of those pains and trials and difficulties that you've had to go through in your life. The residual effects of bitterness and unforgiveness and hurt and anxiety, fear. Why do we fret? Why do we worry? Why do we whine? Why do we complain? Why do we gripe, get bitter, get angry about what has happened to us or about what is happening to us? Why don't we rejoice? Why don't we rejoice? Worship, give thanks, serve, give, and forgive. Why don't we? Because our perspective is wrong. Because the way that we see things is wrong. Because we're not seeing things the way Paul talks about seeing things. He talked about earlier in verses 9 and 10 that the love of God, the agape love of God, this, this, this God's kind of love would abound more and more in our hearts. So when his love abounds in our hearts, it makes it easy for us to live with the right kind of perspective. That in all things, in everything, you see, we can rejoice, worship, give thanks, serve, give, and forgive, because in all things that the enemy has tried to use to ruin you and your life, all things that the enemy's tried to do to use in your life to ruin your focus, to ruin your life, to ruin uh, the, the greater mission that God has for you. You can look at it in the face and you can look at those circumstances and you can look at those difficulties and you can look at those things and you can say, all my circumstances have and will turn out for the greater progress of the gospel. All of them. Every circumstance that I deal with in my life, every difficulty that I have faced, every problem that have risen in front of me, every single one of them, all of those circumstances will turn out to prove that they will only further the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, you want to know how to throw a mud pie in the face of the devil? 
gang. You take all those circumstances, those things that he's trying to bring in your life to ruin you, to destroy you, to make you bitter and angry and hurt, gang. You take those things and you say, you know what? I'm going to use these things and I'm going to further the gospel because of what you've done to me in my life. And you just throw it back up in his face and say, do it again, devil. Do it again, and I'll show you what it's like, and I'll use these circumstances to preach the gospel and to further it in your kingdom because I'll spread the word about how God is my deliverer, about how he is my forgiver, he is my healer. He He does everything that I could possibly ever want or imagine. Come on, listen. Jesus' last command to you Jesus' last command to me was to go and make disciples, right? Go and make disciples. It is our commission. It is your commission as the church. And it doesn't matter what church you're a part of. If it's this church or if it's another church a year from now, 10 years from now, it doesn't matter. Jesus' last commission to every single one of us is to go into this world and to make disciples. We have a call and a mandate. His command to us, go and make disciples. And the enemy's desire, okay, is to not only ruin your life, but to also keep you from obeying this command of Jesus. And as long as you are looking at your problems and your circumstances and your difficulty and your pain, you know what you're not doing? You're not obeying Jesus. Because you're not, you, you're not letting those circumstances turn out for the furtherance of the gospel. Come on. What are your circumstances? What are they? What what were they? Will you let them be used? Will you let them be used for the greater progress of the gospel? That's what Paul said that in all my circumstances, they are turning out for the greater progress of the gospel. It's the calling, it's the mandate that God has given upon us to go and to make disciples. It applies to us all. Will you stand to your feet today?